Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. About eight months before starting seminary in 2007, I was working out at my local gym in San Francisco on one of those contraptions that they call an elliptical machine, where the arms and legs move as if you're power walking. At the time, I was really worked up about my calling to the priesthood. Scheduled to meet with my parish vocations committee just a few hours later, I was convinced I could not live up to what was expected of me. So I had this conversation with God in my head as I exercised. Act it out for you. (laughs) I don't want to do this, and I'm going to quit, I said. You don't want me. I have too many doubts about you. My faith is weak, and I don't want all that responsibility. As I argued with God in my head, my movements on the machine became more frantic the more worked up I got. Finally, I shouted to God in my head, of course, All right, if this is what you want from me, you have got to give me a sign. I need to know right now whether you want me to be a priest. I waited for 30 seconds and nothing happened. Okay. Right now, I repeated, giving God a second chance. Still nothing. Okay, I'm taking your silence as a no, and I'm not going to do it. No answer. So, dejectedly, I finished my workout and went to the locker room. I know it's childish, but I had really expected that God would send a sign, would offer proof that I was on the right path. After all, I had had a few signs already. I was so desperate to have my doubts alleviated that I was willing to stake my whole future on some vague evidence. And then, in the locker room of that gym in the Castro, arguably the least religious spot on earth, (laughs) on the bench right underneath my locker, I saw a beat-up old wooden rosary. I looked around, but there was no one in that whole row of lockers. Suddenly excited, I waited to see if anyone would claim it. No one did. I gingerly set my water bottle down on a few of the beads, just to make sure it was actually real. Then I went to shower and stayed away for a good 20 minutes, certain that I would not find the rosary when I returned. But there it was, and no one was even paying any attention to it. Afraid to touch it? I got dressed and left the gym excited and assured that my calling to the priesthood was what God wanted for me. I had received my sign, my proof of God's existence and regard for me. Two months later, my doubts somehow reappeared, (laughs) as if none of this had ever happened. But does that make it untrue? Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. With these words, Thomas became a stand-in for all of us who demand signs before we will commit ourselves to Christ. For all of us who have trouble grasping the reality of the resurrection or who long for proof of God's existence. 
We call him Doubting Thomas, but he was actually no different than the other disciples. They wouldn't believe Mary Magdalene after she had seen Jesus alive. Only after seeing him for themselves did they rejoice in belief. But no amount of assurance on their part would sway Thomas. Like them, he had already trusted that Jesus was the Messiah who would save them all. And his heart broke when his hero was killed. So he wasn't about to trust again without some proof. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, he might have thought. And so that week, between Jesus' appearance to the other disciples and the night he came to Thomas, must have been a tough one. His heartbroken resistance staving off their joyous insistence. It is that same week in which our faith lives all the time. We are waiting for Jesus to come back after being told by others, he has risen. We believe it and you should too. Some of you do already believe it. Many of you already believe it. You wouldn't come to an eight o'clock service if you didn't have some faith. And Jesus commends you in today's reading. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. But I am guessing that a few of us are at least a little bit like Thomas, holding on to a lingering doubt or some scrap of human reason that keeps us from fully embracing the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And that's why today's gospel story is a gift, really, if we choose to receive it. Jesus welcomes those doubts of Thomas. He wants there to be no mistake. He's willing to have the disciple inspect his open wounds. Jesus wants to meet Thomas in his place of doubt and sorrow to comfort and reassure him with his presence. Peace be with you. Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Likewise, this story blesses us with the message that Jesus wants to meet us wherever we are on our faith journey. Unlike the religions that raised some of us to think that questioning God was a sin, Jesus in this story invites us to probe our faith and to engage our doubts. Though we may struggle with our faith, Christ has faith in us. A few months after my locker room epiphany, I was walking around New York City with a friend, again trying to decide whether or not to go to seminary and study for the priesthood. My friend, she was an atheist. I didn't know why I was having this conversation with her, but I was. I cried, I have so many doubts about whether Jesus even is the Son of God, and what about the virgin birth, the Holy Trinity, the resurrection? I think I was even flailing my arms around as we walked. I was doing my best Woody Allen walking anxiously down the streets of Manhattan routine. She listened as I went on and on with my list of doubts, the reasons why I could never be a priest. Finally, she just laughed. She laughed and she said, I don't know, but from what I can tell, it sounds like maybe you should go to seminary. I mean, who else would spend so much time worrying about these things and trying to understand them but someone who has faith? Honestly, I don't care enough about anything you just said to give it a second thought. I just don't believe, and that's that. I think the fact that you care so much about your doubts and want to work through them is a sign that you actually have faith. 
an atheist's wisdom strikes again. <laughs> Similarly, those of you who struggle with your own religious doubts from time to time might consider the possibility that you are actually engaging your faith. As the saying goes, you may have heard, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. Our doubts betray a longing for God, and that longing is sacred. Dostoevsky once wrote, It is not as a child that I believe and confess Jesus Christ. My Hosanna is born of a furnace of doubt. What lies inside the wounds of Christ? What did Thomas yearn to touch? Is it some profound truth about our existence? Or is it proof of God's love for us contained in that unhealed cut? Is it mystery, something so much deeper than our human understanding that we can only perceive it through metaphor? Without seeing with our own eyes as Thomas did, how can we one day cry out, my Lord and my God? I don't know. Through prayer, maybe. Or perhaps by continuing to ask questions that challenge easy belief. If we approach such prayer and inquiry with humility and a willingness to be vulnerable, there may come a day when the doubts don't burn so hotly when acceptance and faith settle into our soul. That is eventually what's happened with me. I have spent the last 15 years engaging doubt at some level about God, about myself and my abilities, seeking answers, thinking I could hit upon a capital T truth if I just phrased the questions right. But I have come dangerously close to making an idol out of my doubts, clinging to them and praising their honesty, rather than clinging to Christ and praising God. There does have to come a day for all people of faith and doubt when the time for discourse and wondering is over and the resurrection life needs to be lived. We can keep questioning in our minds, but our hearts and our hands have work to do. This skeptical, heartbroken world out there needs to experience God's tangible love through our actions. I still sometimes get jealous of the disciples for their post-resurrection visits with Jesus. Those moments of palpable presence of touch and breath. When life after death was proved right before their eyes. We must live in a time of uncertainty. But that's no excuse for giving up hope and growing our faith. Amen. Amen.